we're out there to educate, to change hearts and minds, not to win arguments and debates. To your point, you know, a lot of what goes on behind the scenes at factory farms, a lot of the public doesn't know about. And if they did, they would be more open to looking at alternatives and to changing their eating habits. So it just really comes down to, you know, educating folks in a non-judgmental manner. Um, you know, I, I truly believe that, you know, I've never been won over by being yelled at and I don't expect the same thing to happen for others. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason why, you know, we do host like silent, peaceful protests. We provide information for the public to learn more. And yeah, at the same time, you know, holding those decision makers accountable. My name is Christina. I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining. For those in Atlanta, I hope you enjoyed the Atlanta Veg Fest. They did an amazing job organizing it this year. It was a beautiful venue, tons of speakers, so much food. <laughs> I've seen people walking around with uh, these huge uh, coolers and they're stocking up for the food for the days to come because it was impossible to eat and try everything in one day. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a tip for the next year. But going back to Ryan, so Ryan Bolzan is the regional field organizer for the Humane League. The Humane League is a nonprofit organization that exists to end the abuse of animals raised for food. And you may have heard me talk about it before, post about it. Um, I love the organization and participate with them quite a bit. Ryan works with individuals and groups across multiple states in the Southeast US. He inspires volunteers to take on leadership roles for the Humane League's campaign initiatives. He motivates others, fosters long-term relationships, and trains activists in effective grassroots animal advocacy and corporate campaigning. And he lives here in Decatur, Georgia. So this episode is especially dear to my heart. Uh, Ryan is a return guest. He was the very first guest on the very first podcast episode ever for this one. And Ryan has also been a longtime partner in crime for the uh, Team Humane yearly campaigns that I partake in. Team Humane is a part of the Humane League. It's an athletic division of the Humane League that uh, with amateur and professional athletes setting uh, personal goals and challenges and working to accomplish those while doing so on a vegan diet and fundraising for the Humane League. This is how I got an idea to run my first half marathon two years ago. And then next year, uh, which was last year, I ran the full marathon just for the animals. Uh, we get into more details on how it works and our personal experiences uh, through the years with uh, uh, the Humane League campaigning. But what you need to know now is that Team Humane 2019 season is now open. And if you want to support, participate, or set your goals and even join the campaign, we need your help. Please let Ryan or me know and we'll get you set up. For my challenge this year, I have decided to take fighting for the animals quite literally. So I'm joining the kickboxing gym and uh, my goal is to hit 31 classes before the end of the year. And uh, if I can get 31 people to make contributions to my campaign, I pledge to do an ice bucket challenge on camera. I want to mention that 100% um, of the money raised goes to... Um, defeating animal abuse um, and practices that are completely just unbearable and uh, this this is a challenge for me I kickboxing is something that I've never done before and uh, it just sounded like a new cool adventure to partake in and I have a perfect motivation and a team behind me to help support me. Ryan is uh, also joined the kickboxing gym and I think you should check in with him and see how he's doing on his goals but his commitment is at least two classes a week until the end of the year and maybe we can convince him to do an ice bucket challenge as well but if you want to participate in any capacity uh, you don't have to start your own campaign or you don't have to 
send money for something you're not aware of uh, just yet. But we would love for you to join the things that we do and the events that we organize in the community. We'll be having sunrise hikes with the vegan branches, the work fundraisers, fundraisers dance, uh, dance fitness fundraisers, bake sales and stuff. I'll put the link uh, to our Facebook group on, in the show notes so you can check it out if you want it. And uh, I really hope to see you at one of the events. And with that, with no further delay, I'll give you Ryan. Welcome back on Follow Your Kind Podcast. And today we have back our wonderful guest, Ryan Bolzan, right? Yes, I said it right. Um, and he's senior field organizer in Humane League. Um, and you may remember him. You were actually my very first guest on this podcast. So full circle. Welcome back to the show. Happy to be back, Christina. Thank yes. you. Thank you. And we all, I also just learned that we are technically neighbors because your last name is Romanian right. and I'm from Ukraine. And it, I mean, it, it totally <laughs> it makes sense, right? It all, it's all coming full circle. So glad to have you on the show again. Uh, so just to give a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, context of where we are, we're sitting in uh, Ryan's wonderful office. For some reason, I'm staring at a Christmas tree right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is not decorated right now, which is which is a good thing. But uh, is that there for a reason? Yeah. Um, so I found out when I moved to Georgia that not many homes in Georgia have basements, so I don't have a place <laughs> to put it. <laughs> so it's Christmas all year long in my office. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's holidays all the year long, right? Right. And then another thing that uh, I just pointed out that we briefly talked about is that, that Ryan has a few books on his desk, and one of them is Essentialism by Greg McCown, and we were just raving about how wonderful the book is, and I know that you're yet to read it, right? Right. I'm excited to dive into it. Yes. And for me, it was definitely a strong beginning of the year. And it, uh, it talks about priorities. And the main idea that I carried out for myself from that book if, is if you, don't set your own, your, if you don't set your priorities, somebody else will do it for you. And in the world where when we are just rained on by all this information and to-do lists and requests from everybody i think it's more essential than ever to make sure that you set your own priorities right so many distractions in life and you need something to guide you to declutter that right yeah declutter yeah i love that <laughs> i love that well we're going to talk about some priorities today so i'm really excited to dive in and um i know we talked about it a little bit at our last conversation but maybe we can give our listeners a refresher um, so tell us how you, well, no, let's get back to, first of all, Humane League. What is Humane League? <laughs> Great question. Uh, so the Humane League is an international animal protection organization. Mm -hmm. um, we've recently rebranded. Uh, so we've got a new logo. We've got a new mission statement, uh, which is we exist and the abuse of animals raised for food. Uh, so what we do is still the same. Uh, we engage in like individual veg advocacy, as mm -hmm. well as institutional welfare campaigns. So basically holding corporations accountable uh, to improve their animal welfare standards, uh, while at the same time encouraging individuals to move towards a vegan diet. And we do that through our, our website, eatingveg.org. Right. And uh, also to give listeners a little bit of a reference point, uh, few weeks ago we had on this podcast our guest was Leah Garces and she's the president of Mercy for Animals which is another nonprofit that also fo focuses on uh, animal welfare and kind of fighting for the rights of animals um, so there the hope is that there are a lot of different organizations that are doing this work today which is amazing but going back to the Humane League um, tell us how how you ended up in this role <laughs> Uh, well, I've been, well, I've been at the Humane League for a couple years and prior to that, uh, so we're here in Atlanta, Georgia, but I come from Ohio. And so while I was living in Ohio, um, after I became vegan, I got involved in activism, uh, actually through Mercy for Animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was organizing events, doing leafleting and, you know, I just wanted to do more. 
So I had a previous career in aviation, um, but I really found this to be my passion in life. Uh, so I spent a good part of a year just educating myself, reading books, taking classes, uh, challenging myself and taking on more responsibility. And that landed me as a, with an internship at the Humane League. So I was a, a social media intern. Um, what year was it? This was uh, 2007. 17. 17. <laughs> 2017. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was an intern for, yeah, it was supposed to be a three-month commitment. It mm -hmm. turned in, I said, let's keep this going. Uh, and I had interned for about seven, seven months when an opportunity came to be a uh, grassroots coordinator at the time in mm -hmm. Atlanta. So in a matter of a few weeks, I packed up everything, uh, moved down to Georgia, um, and started working with the Humane League. So, and that's actually... As this recording, this is my two-year anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. This is actually pretty crazy because now as you talk about it, I'm reflecting on first meeting you too. And I think like we met right afterwards, right after you met, because right after you moved to Atlanta, because I think that was the first season when I was fundraising with the Team Humane right. at that time. And I remember you just moved uh, and you, I think, joined the team too, like as you were moving. Yeah. Which was pretty <laughs> cool. Okay, uh, going back a little bit, you said you read books and took classes. What were some of the books that were most impactful for you that stand out or some of the classes that you took? Um, so a lot of the classes I took were online classes uh, through the local community college. So I took like nonprofit fundraising uh, mm -hmm. as well as writing classes. So things to get kind of in the mindset of working in the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, the name's blanking on me, but there's the... Uh, Oh, Animal Activist Handbook hmm. by Matt Ball and Bruce Friedrich. Oh my God, yes, I have it. Do you? Yes, the first, one of the first events that when I just first joined, they had an, the Humane League had an event here locally where they had Bruce Friedrich speak. When Megan was uh, a grassroots coordinator still, I think right before you moved, and I met right. him there and I got the book. This is so Incredible. cool. Incredible, yep. <laughs> I actually have it signed by him. No kidding. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that he's is an amazing a, speaker. He really is. He yeah. really is. His YouTube videos are phenomenal. Like I, I try to learn as much as I can from what he says. He loves to like educate and teach mm -hmm. uh, when he when he speaks. So yeah, I found him very very helpful. Wealth of information. Absolutely. And uh, for for the listeners, so Bruce Friedrich, he's president, maybe co-founder. He's one of the leaders of the Good Food Institute. Right, right now, and I know he does a lot of advocacy, he does a lot of education, and also a lot of research, um, empowering organizations at the moment, right now, um, on the alternative meat sources. And, yeah. Yeah. Yes, doing, yeah, uh, supporting startups. Clean meat, yeah. Exactly, and plant-based meats. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. Okay, all right, <laughs> so going forward, so books and classes you took, got motivated, moved to Atlanta, got the position... What happens next? Well, I guess I spent probably the greater year um, really just getting meeting folks and really kind of establishing myself, getting a lay of the land. Mm -hmm. um, you know, started organizing events right away. And around the time that you and I had our last uh, uh, meetup um, or when we recorded the uh, podcast before, we were just kicking off our campaign against McDonald's. Mm -hmm. um, so really that became kind of like my main driver and focus um, for 2018. Um, and then at the same time, uh, you know, we were having talks about, uh, you know, how we wanted to re-envision the Humane League in order to make us like more sustainable for years to come. And so that kind of, those talks were happening and conversations were being had, you know, to try to, which led to what we are today, our new volunteer structure. Right. And uh, something that you talk about, the um, kind of how you can better align and how you can better do your work, it sounds like the, the thought process that's behind it or the intention that's behind it is very strategic and very um, purposeful. Um, because I also know that Humane League is known for and very proud for being rated very highly as one of the best nonprofits, right? Talk, talk about that a little bit more because I know they, the Human League has several certifications or awards for being the, the best at utilizing their resources that they have versus the impact they make. 
Right, right, yeah. So what you're referring to, uh, there's an organization called Animal Charity Evaluators. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, every year they put out a report uh, where they nominate uh, uh, animal rights organizations uh, as a top charity. And the Humane League is the only uh, organization that's been given that top charity award for every single one of Animal Charity Evaluators rating periods. So as long as they've been doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're at uh, about six years now. Yeah. They've been around and they've given us the top charity award every year. And they go through our books and, you know, they kind of crunch the numbers to try to analyze, you know, how impactful we're being. And we've been honored, yeah, that we've gotten that award every single year. Right. And I remember for me, again, I, I've been involved with the, the Humane League now. It's my third year, probably. And I think that was in my decision making process when I was deciding if I should join or if I should fundraise or if I should be a part of the organization. That for me personally, it was one of the important factors that I've weighed as 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 I was making that decision. As okay, how effectively are is the money utilized, or how effectively is the organization at producing any kind of you know impact based on the resources that are going into that? So it's it's not to be taken lightly, and it, I think it speaks volume to the kind of work that you do, and I'm sure also puts. A, li a little bit of good pressure on you as an organization and you personally as one of the key um, players and key um, employee employer employees of the organization to do amazing work and deliver. Yeah, yeah, and thank you. Yeah, it means that we really, you know, because we value every dollar that we get donated, and so we need to be very efficient with how we mm -hmm. spend that that those donations, as well as you know, we need to be nimble, so be ready for change because um, right. change is always going to happen. Especially today, man. Change is <laughs> happening every day. <laughs> every day. Uh, so talk more about overall work that Humane League does. I know there are several different uh, kind of areas. I know you work with organizations, but at the same time, you also do a lot of advocacy on the individual level. Um, so talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So you can look at it as, you know, we work on individual dietary change. So your traditional veg advocacy mm -hmm. that we're all really familiar with. Um, we have a website called eatingveg.org. In there, we've produced a really, I guess, amazing 20-minute documentary that goes over, you know, the animal welfare, the environmental, and the, the health mm -hmm. benefits of... We'll make sure to include the link to that video in the show notes. Great. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also, you can sign up and get uh, recipes and support uh, for moving to a plant-based diet. So... We're very much, you know, very involved, very supportive of, you know, individual dietary change and veg advocacy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the second thing that we do at the Humane League is institutional work. So, um, you know, there are people who are still going to be eating meat uh, and there's still billions and billions and billions of farm animals who are suffering every day on factory farms. So we want to help those animals as well. So we hold corporations accountable, they're the customers of these factory farms, uh, to improve their animal welfare policies and to ban some of the cruelest forms uh, of animal abuse that are out there. Right. And it makes so much sense because I feel like you're you're tackling both of the sides of the street. You're looking at the supply and how the organizations, how big corporations are doing their businesses and setting in stone standards, guidelines, or maybe laws or policies that can help facilitate kind of tr better treatment of animals, at least for now. But then at the same reason, you're at the same time, you're also walk, uh, working on the demand aspect and the, the customer side of it, motivating them to um, put their dollars where the values are and either abstain for the products that are not desirable or hurt animals and, or demand products that are more ethically aligned with what it is what we want to do or maybe don't include any animal products at all. So I think it's it's such a wise and comprehensive approach. Right. Yeah. You not only have to, you know, we want to not only decrease the number of animals that are bred and slaughtered mm -hmm. every year on factory farms, but then also for the foreseeable future until we know like when is that going to, how long is that going to continue for we owe it to ourselves. It's our moral imperative to be trying to address some of the cruelest forms of, of abuse that they're enduring every single day. Right. So what does it look like on day-to-day -day basis in terms of the work that you and other people who work or volunteer at Humane League do? 
on it sounds like on the individual level you create resources for individuals okay if they're maybe come comprehend or maybe they're uh, considering to make a change they can look at the resources available and then if they're like okay i'm ready they have the recipes and like some kind of free starter kit that they can access to to know what it is they're supposed to do now they're no longer eating meat right right okay right um yeah i can go a little bit into like what what maybe i do uh, yeah as a senior field organizer because yeah my role has updated quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, since you and i were last speaking so um as a senior field organizer, what my role is now is I oversee uh, volunteer training over the Southeast US. So from Louisiana all the way down to Florida wow. and to Puerto Rico. Uh, so my day-to-day -day work involves, um, you know, creating courses and training for our volunteers so that they themselves can be leaders in their own community. Uh, and that can look like doing welfare campaigns. It could be fundraising. It could be veg advocacy, all of the above community building. So our volunteers are embracing kind of all of those areas and trying mm -hmm. to do all of that together. That's incredible. Um, where do you find the volunteers? Is it most on campuses or? Campuses are, are great. Yeah, we actually launched uh, what's called the Student Alliance for Animals. And so it's a student animal rights club membership program at the Humane League. So they receive uh, like one-on-one -on -one support to help make their student clubs sustainable mm -hmm. for years to come. And they also engage in some uh, THL campaign work as well. Um, but yeah, we basically, you know, offer up our services to try to support them and make sure that they can be sustainable uh, for years to come. So that's a great way we get volunteers. Uh, in other ways, you know, through social media and word of mouth uh, to try to get people in. So um, yeah, I think we even post on like job websites too. Mm -hmm. um, we have now what's called a volunteer captain position uh, that just started this year and it involves like a formal interview process. There's a six month commitment. Uh, they do one-on-one -on -one weekly check-ins with myself or if it's in a different region with you know my respective colleagues mm -hmm. uh, and we basically work together to try to achieve that mission and you know to build a community wherever they live what a cool job <laughs> i'm curious yeah. what kind of uh, is there like a certain kind of a, a person that you see mostly in these roles or like the are they like freshly made or proclaimed vegans who are like just so passionate or I don't know, like, I'm just curious about what, what kind of people apply for roles like that. Um, it really, you know, we've had a very diverse uh, array of people applying to be and our captains right now. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing. Different ages. Yeah. Everything. So different levels of vegan experiences or knowledge of, you know, that area. Um, it's really great. I love working with lots of different folks. Yeah. What a wonderful platform to have is to coach other individuals who are just as excited and passionate about the work that you do. I'm sure you get the fire reignited within you as well when you do that. Yes. It goes back to, you know, what I was doing as a volunteer back in Ohio, you know, just taking ownership of that, that city and just creating the events and, you know, feeling very empowered. And what I love about what we're doing here now is I get to kind of pay that back to other people and give them training, give them support, do check-ins. And really, you know, if that's something they want to do as a career, this is a great step. It's not a guarantee, but, um, you know, really, yeah, they, they get that one-on-one -on -one support with me. They can really try it out and grow as and develop themselves into leaders, so. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so that's individual level. What about on the like corporation company advocacy level? Talk about some campaigns that you have on that side. Yeah, so what we have right now is uh, our 88% campaign. Uh, and we call it the 88% campaign because it's really catered to the chickens that are raised for meat or known in the industry as broiler chickens. Mm -hmm. uh, they make up 88% of the animals that are slaughtered in the United States every year. Does that include fish? It does not, no. So the land animals. Of land animals, that's mm -hmm. a great distinction, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it's... It, it's really hard to track how many fish are slaughtered. I cannot imagine. Yeah, unfortunately. So, but what we do know based on land animals is that broiler chickens make up 88% mm -hmm. of those uh, of those animals. So, 
everything that we can do to help their lives is going to help a great number of animals. So, um, yeah, so the 80% has been going on for a couple of years now. I'm happy to say that, you know, we've gotten through our coalition partners like Mercy for Animals and Animal Equality and Compassionate World Farming and the Humane League and others. We've gotten 150 plus companies to commit to better animal welfare policies wow. for our chickens. Wow, and that's in U.S.? Yes, I can say that, yeah, for the U.S. There's also some global campaigns out there, too. Right, I think there's like Chicken Wing Alliance or something like that. I remember Megan was talking about that. That's an international campaign. But that's impressive. 150 companies have changed their policy uh, in U.S. based on the on the efforts and that, that's again that speaks back to the how how can you be most impactful and effective with the resources that you have in producing change and having companies in nationwide change their policy or maybe install standards that are stricter and improve animals' lives is a, a bright example of doing that of the impact. Right. Right. So. What about in terms of like the campaigns that you you have? So the eighty eight percent campaign. What are some of the efforts? What does it look like on the ground level? Yeah. So our flagship campaign within the eighty eight percent campaign right now is um, we're uh, holding McDonald's accountable. Mm-hmm. So McDonald's is you know one of the largest fast food chains in the world, and back in two thousand seventeen they put out a policy that was really really substandard. Um, it was a lot of talk, but no action really. And so in reference to chickens specifically, exactly. Yeah. In reference to broiler chickens. Mm -hmm. So we've been uh, campaigning against McDonald's now for since March of 2018. Um, And basically our volunteers have been instrumental in, uh, you know, hosting meetups, writing postcards and letters, staging protests outside of McDonald's locations Mm -hmm. Um, for example, this month we have about I think forty-two events across the country oh my uh, God. targeting McDonald's. So yeah, what does it look like? So the protests, for example, outside of the of McDonald's, what does it look like? Are they peaceful protests? People are walking around with post post boards, or what? What is happening? Great question. Yeah. So at the Humane League, uh, we do silent peaceful protests. Uh, so we design, we provide all the signage, uh, and basically we let those signs speak for us. So there's no amplified noise, no shouting or megaphones like that. So um, the signs are really, really powerful. And so we'll stand on the sidewalk and let them do the talking for us. Mm-hmm. And then we have leaflets too for people who are walking by and they mm-hmm. want more, more information. What kind of responses do you see? Like, do you see any responses from either McDonald's uh, employees or the people who are walking by? You do, yeah. You get a variety of responses. Uh, you know, from my experience, you know, the the McDonald's employees, you know, they're not they don't understand where they're they're getting their chicken from. Mm-hmm. And really, our messaging is towards the executives at McDonald's. They're the decision makers right. here. Um, so we're not there to shame customers going in and out of McDonald's at all. It's really to educate the public and to hold the executives accountable. Um, really, you know, we get a lot of support. So a lot of car honks and a lot of, you know, fist pumps in the air. Um, <laughs> people coming by really excited, wanting to learn more. Um, That's really cool. very positive response because, you know, even if, you're someone who is right now eating meat, you know, they're very supportive that, you know, animal abuse is bad business and that animals shouldn't be abused. So there's a lot of people who are very supportive of this. Right. And I think that's helpful. Um, Maybe we can spend just a little bit more time talking about that and the advocacy and how like the approach of us, like personally as individuals, but also Humane League as a nonprofit and company that advocates for animal rights is it's not necessarily targeted at any individual specifically, right? And there is not like presumption that somebody is inherently bad, or at least in my mind. It's just the way I see it is if people knew better, they would do better. And at some point, people are just either don't know or they're resistant to really feeling deeply of what it feels like on the cellular level to suffer. Is this animal suffer? And if only they were to truly understand the immense amount of pain 
that is present, they would surely make the change. And the same is with even companies like McDonald's or other big corporations. I personally, truly, I don't believe it's anybody's specific fault. It's just a system that got somehow compiled as a result of collective actions of different individuals, right? But if you like to dissect it, I don't know if it's any one person's specific fault. So in my mind, it helps me when I speak about or the way they advocate, I advocate. It's not about, it's not about like shaming or blaming somebody. It's not about like talking, telling people that they're, you know, they're inherently evil. It's just sharing the knowledge that's there and inviting them on our side to help make the situation better. And that's why, like, I think we're able to look at the protest. You know, some people may say, oh, like, it sucks. You're, like, going and, you know, you're, like, criticizing people. We're not criticizing people. We're, we're asking people to stop and think. Right. Right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I completely agree with you. Yeah, we're, we're out there to educate, to change hearts and minds, not to win arguments and debates. Right? I love that. <laughs> So, yeah, it really starts by changing hearts and minds. And to your point, you know, a lot of what goes on behind the scenes at factory farms, a lot of the public doesn't know about. And if they did, they would be more open to looking at alternatives and to changing their eating habits. So it just really comes down to, you know, educating folks in a non-judgmental manner. Um, You know, I, I truly believe that, you know, I've never been won over by being yelled at. And I don't expect the same thing to happen for others. Mm -hmm. So... That's one reason why, you know, we do host like silent, peaceful protests. We provide information for the public to learn more. And yeah, at the same time, you know, holding those decision makers accountable. So Right. No, that's a really good point. And I'm also thinking back to my conversation with Leah now too and kind of her journey uh, in the book that she wrote grilled about the chicken industry and her journey about getting to know the farmers too. Yeah. So it's like you know, if you think about from the very high perspective without like really knowing anything, you're like, well, okay, who's to blame? Well, the consumer is to blame because they're buying all this chicken. Well, maybe they don't know any better or maybe they don't have a lot of money in order to have enough resources or education or motivation to, you know, to do better with their choices. Okay, maybe they can we can educate them. Okay, well, who else then is to blame? Well, all of these farmers who are raising the chickens. But if we really look down under the hood and we see like what, like those farmers are trapped too between all of their credits and the debt they have right. and the obligation they have to their community, to their whoever lended them the money, to their family. They're under so much pressure. Like it would be so just mean and unempathetic to assume that they could just step out and do whatever is best. I mean, it's the situation is very, very complex. And I feel like all the parties that are involved in this like system that appears to be evil overall, all of them have a story. So maybe at the end of the day, it's okay, how we can put all of those stories aside and how we can come together and in a non-judgmental manner, figure out how we can how we can solve the issue as a team instead of trying to sit in in our respective corner and point finger across the room. Right. Yeah. It might be cathartic to do that, you know, to point your finger and to say shame on you, you know, yeah, it it can be cathartic, but is it productive? You know, to my point, I don't think it is. So it's really, you know, really crucial that if you want to be effective advocates you know, that you are listening with an open mind and you're being non-judgmental, you're asking questions, avoiding monologues, you know, just having like a very open conversation with people. Mm. I love that. Talk more about effective advocacy in in your experience from either individual or corporate level and some Mm. of the maybe wins that you saw as a result of some of the efforts. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had many, a few successes over the years. Um, I don't know, one one really fun one I can think of was uh, when I was out in Columbus, uh, Ohio, and I was out leafleting. Um, I had a table set up at a uh, festival that happens every year that's really popular. And so what we would do is hand leaflets out and show uh, four minutes of undercover factory uh, footage. And mm-hmm. then we would pay people a dollar. Uh, to watch it so they were called pay-per-views and um, 
it was a three day long festival. I mean, there must have been hundreds of folks that came through my table and watched it. And so the next year that came around, um, you know, we were sending out a message to our local supporters who had signed up in the area to see if they wanted to help volunteer. And we got this wonderful response back from someone who unfortunately I don't remember, but uh, their reply back was, well, they had moved, so they weren't going to be able to volunteer, but because of, you know, what they saw and because of the leaflet, they were now vegan. That's amazing. And doing the same thing in their in their new state. So that's the one that always sticks on my mind and makes me smile to think about. I love that. What about some of the examples on the corporate level? What do you think it is that um, is one of the most convincing actions that you can take? Yeah, so with a corporate world, um, so at the Humanely, we have uh, a separate department uh, called Corporate Relations, and it's their responsibility to have a lot of back-end dialogue with these companies. So when I mentioned earlier that we've had 150-plus uh, commitments from companies, um, a lot of that can be attributed to our corporate relations team. Uh, so they're the ones that kind of are the experts in in what how that dialogue goes. But essentially, you know, it's basically telling them these corporations that you know society is becoming more socially aware. You know, it's 2019, uh, so there's a lot of corporate social responsibility. It's a big thing now with corporations, and mm-hmm. so it's their responsibility. It's better for them to have higher animal welfare policies. If that, for no, for no other reason than the animals, then for that. So right. um, from my understanding with their dialogue, it goes along with something like that. Um, and then those who, you know, don't think that customers care about how animals are treated, that's when it becomes... <laughs> well, let, let us show you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it becomes, you know, my jurisdiction. Uh, that's when we get our volunteers involved. Um, but really it's because we've also grown such a grassroots army of activists over the years that mm-hmm. we can point to previous campaigns and show that show these corporations what it's like to have one waged against them and that that can change their minds too <laughs> yeah that's really cool okay so you know i want to talk about the impact squad before we dive into that is, is there anything else you want to say on, on the 88 percent campaign or any other other focuses that you have at the moment no, no. I just, um, yeah, I want to say if anyone wants to get involved that, uh, you know, we can link this, but uh, our Humane League website shows all of the events that we have going on. So all the ones that are in Atlanta or in other cities around the country, they're going to mm-hmm. be on there. And then we also have them also on our Facebook page. So I encourage anyone who's curious about, uh, you know, what we do and how we do it to check us out. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We'll make sure to include that link as well. All right. So on to the impact squad. Yay. <laughs> so what's the Impact Squad? Impact Squad is, uh, well, formerly known as Team Humane League, mm-hmm. but it's our peer-to-peer fundraising. Uh, so individuals such as you and I, um, we form a team in our city. We get others together uh, to come join us. We set personal goals, um, whether they're athletic or whether they're non-athletic, and uh, you know we crush it and uh, we raise money in the process. So. Yeah, it's really fun. So for those of you who don't know, this is how I got involved in uh, uh, Humane League first. I think, and now like I, now that I think about it backwards, right, all the points connect, looking backward, <laughs> but like, it, it, of course, it all perfectly makes sense. But at the beginning, I remember I was like, wow, this is all just working out just so wonderfully. It must be whatever, some miraculous thing. But I remember I, I was pretty new to Atlanta still. I think I've maybe been here less than a year. And uh, I I wanted to get involved in, in more involved with community and animal advocacy. And then I was also, I had this idea, maybe like doing some kind of like a race, but I wanted the money towards the, from the race go to, to a good cause. So I was like, well, I love animals and vegans. So maybe there's something that could be go into that. And I don't remember who I asked or where I posted something, but I remember somebody referred me to Lawson and then <laughs> uh, to Froggy. And then, uh, and then he put, um, I don't, I don't remember how we connected, but he basically told me about Team Humane and that's how I started learning about it. And yeah. And then I like not knowing, they just told me, you know, you just commit to a race and then like, we give you an account and you raise money. And I was like, okay, that's, that sounds great. Let's do this. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but then like I met, I met all of this cool people here in the community in Atlanta 
everybody who is so motivated and by the way like if you're not from atlanta we have an amazing vegan community in this city and if you are from atlanta and you're still not a part of it call me up or something <laughs> <laughs> you need to get plugged in but it's just really really cool we really have a lot of uh, a really diverse uh, individuals who are interested and passionate about all different kinds of things but are united by, by this common thread of this love for the animals and just care um, and yeah it was it was so cool to join and I know we were just talking before we started recording but now thinking back on it if it wasn't for Humane League the first year I committed to running half marathon and it was, if it was not for Team Humane I, I would not run half marathon. I remember the people I was fundraising with Trish, Karis, um, Lawson, Froggy, um, David if it wouldn't be for them like I was so scared to run to run that half marathon I would not run it. And then the second year I signed up again and I did a full marathon. And again, like the only reason I swear, the only thing that kept me going was like those animals, if it wouldn't be for them, I would not be running. Amazing. But it's such a cool experience. Like the things that you get to push yourself towards when you feel like a part of something bigger than yourself and when you, when you have a true cause behind your back. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and to your point, right, it's a great opportunity for community building. Mm -hmm. You get to meet friends. And we hold each other accountable. Yeah. And the people who are donating to us for our goal, you know, they're holding us accountable. Um, you know, when I first, when I moved to Atlanta, it was right during uh, Team Humane League season. Right. And so. That's how we met. Yeah, that's how we met. And I uh, committed to do an eight mile race, not having done more than four miles in my life. Because <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. And uh, yeah, I needed something. And so, yeah, I just signed up and. Actually, you know, I totally forgot, but I yeah didn't practice at all, unfortunately. But I wanted to back out of that race so badly because you know I hadn't trained at all for it. But because but you can't you can't not when uh -uh. everyone's counting on you. Uh, and I'm so glad for that because I did it. I ran it, crushed it, got second place in my age group. That's and... amazing, by the way. <laughs> and it was a trail run too, so it was through the woods over roots and rocks and everything mm -hmm. like that. So I never would have had the opportunity or the motivation to do something like that if it wasn't for Team Humanely, now called Impact Squad. Right, exactly. Same for me. And I, as I'm thinking back, and we have like so many other teammates, right? Like Justin, like the how he was running last year and like doing right. the 10K or whatever. I don't remember his biggest uh, uh, distance that he did but again like he only did it because we were running for animals and Carries, of course and Cindy and all of our wonderful uh, Atlanta Team Humane people but also like reflecting something really cool that um, just warms my heart that I did so last year as I was fundraising the marathon was my big goal and uh, uh, I got a, as a present for the first hundred dollars that I raised I got the Team Humane shirt <laughs> And I had everybody, uh, all of you guys, uh, all of my teammates from Team Humane, but also all of the people who donated to my campaign, I have them all sign the back of my shirt. Such a great idea. And Such a great idea. I know. And I still have it. And it's amazing. And I was running, as I was, and I had this shirt on as I was running the marathon. And it was really cold. I ran the, well, it wasn't really, I should <laughs> really cold it was in south carolina so it was cold by my standards but it wasn't really really cold but it was the inkyoa island uh, and so when i started running the marathon i had the shirt on but it was under like the hoodie so at some point i don't know like maybe mile six uh it was hot enough so i took my hoodie on and i swear when i took my hoodie on and like my shirt with all of yours names and wishes was exposed i felt like i put the cave on like a superman cave <laughs> And that thing fired me through the whole 20 mile, through 20 plus miles. And I remember like every time as I would think about like slowing down or like giving up or how hard it was or how tired I was, I was like, I have all of this amazing energy and all of these wishes and all of these names on the back of my back, on the back of my shirt. There's no way I'm slowing down. There's absolutely no way I'm slowing down. <laughs> and it was like one of the most profound experiences especially as it relates to running for me so it's just it's really really cool and it's really cool to be a part of that that's really inspirational yeah you've had a lot of people to support you and yeah. back you up yeah i'm very lucky and very grateful and i was able like our team did really good with fundraising i think i raised over 23 or 2500 dollars or something it was amazing like the amount of love i received i think just gave me personally 
so much hope like in our humanity in general like the outpour of love and support that there is it's incredible it's incredible like it still brings tears to my eyes it's really cool okay so the big announcement is for this year that we are now recruiting you are now recruiting well we are recruiting everyone's recruiting everybody's recruiting okay so give us the details if people are curious to learn more they want to participate where can they sign up and what kind of the expectation or requirements are Great question. Yes. So on our Humane League website, uh, the humanelink.org slash fundraise, uh, from there you can learn more in depth about uh, the impact squad and how it affects, you know, how we're raising for the animals. And then uh, there's a link there to join, and then it'll lead you to a page where you'll see Team Atlanta. So everyone in Atlanta needs to sign up. They need to join yes. Team Atlanta. Uh, and together, we're going to figure out a goal that we want to achieve. Um, everyone, everyone individually determines like what dollar amount they want to raise, and then they also come up with like a personal goal that mm-hmm. they want to do. For you, it was the half or the full marathon. Uh, for me, it was that eight mile trail run. Right. So we'll figure out what we want to do this year. But everyone can choose their own personal goal. Yeah. Um, and it also doesn't have to be uh, athletic based either. So we've had a lot of really creative ideas over the last year of people doing non-athletic uh, goals, such as learning to play the banjo or, you know, if I raise this much money, I'll do this, these many karaoke songs. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that was a really good one. Another was uh, picking up trash uh, along the beach or a creek or along the side of a road. Uh, someone else is doing uh, writing poetry. This is really cool, too. For example. Too. So um, I think this is a great opportunity to get involved. Um, you know, join a community here in Atlanta, uh, meet some new people, do something that you otherwise normally wouldn't have done before. Mm-hmm. Um, learn something new about yourself, you know. Really take it to where you want to go. And we're always here to brainstorm. So if you have a partial idea, you know, we'll help you try to come up with something solid. Yeah. No, that's really, really cool. And I really appreciate, too, that component, like, of uh, keeping yourself accountable to others, but then it's not like from the perspective of, well, other people are just trying to, you know, oh, you didn't do that. No, it's like vice versa. It's so supportive. Like I cannot tell you how how supportive other people are. And it's also so much fun because there's also a lot of uh, team events that we did before and like the years before. I know uh, I've done the fundraising dance class before and I met so many new cool people. Tracy Miller, shout out to you. Um, and, and, and many others. And then we also did the bake sales. Like we had all kinds of stuff, the sunrise hikes to Stone Mountain, of course. <laughs> Those epic <laughs> hikes. Yeah. That one picture is so yes. stoic and yeah, it, it's going to live on. And I think we're going to do many more of those sunrise hikes up Stone Mountain. Yes, and we started a tradition. Yeah, we did. We did. That became like a regular thing for a while. Um, yeah. What else did we do? We did a really cool thing. We did like a spaghetti western event last year. Oh, with that epic film that we were talking about yeah. for <laughs> months afterwards. A terrible film <laughs> with uh, you know spaghetti and vegan meatballs. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, it doesn't have to be athletic, but yeah, just getting people together, just doing cool things, and then yeah, inspiring us to do more. Yeah, and standing up for what you believe. It's yeah. so important. All to help the animals. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a few final questions that I want to ask but before that what are what are some of the things that inspire you the most today or you're excited about the most about your work with Humane League what inspires me most um, about the Humane League I guess would be again it's the opportunity to teach people uh, to be leaders in the movement, to give them the opportunity that I was given years ago and seeing what I did with that. And yeah, using these, the skills that they learned, it could be event planning or it could be anything mm-hmm. applied to social justice movements, you know, just inspiring the next person um, to be a leader in their community is really what motivates me the most uh, working at the Humane League. Um, as far as the world goes, uh, you know, I'm constantly inspired with the progress that's being made um kfc testing the beyond chicken (laughs) talk about that because you were there in person yes okay so talk about that what happened and what was like what was it like to be there in person because it's like making history hashtag big time it was ridiculous it was absolutely ridiculous um me and uh and justin uh my friend went there 
um, right when KFC opened, which was like 10.30 in the morning, and there were they had managed to make two drive through lines at that one KFC, and it was wrapped around the building and had gone like half a mile down the road. So what was happening? Why? Because people were so excited that they were testing the Beyond Chicken at this one KFC for this one day. Oh, nationwide. This is the only KFC? It was the only KFC. Oh, my God. And it was only for that day. So there was cameras over there. There was They had a billboard uh, behind uh, that KFC And they painted business. it green. And they painted it green, yeah. And there was some <laughs> also installation on top of the building. They really, like, went all out. And I, there was also, I believe, like, representatives from beyond there to talk to the customers. And then, of course, people in line, it, of course, went out the door and wrapped around the building. It just was mayhem. And, uh, yeah, it took, like, over an hour. <laughs> How exciting is that? Uh, so did you get the chicken wings, the anti or whatever they call the Beyond Chicken Wings? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we got the original, and then we got uh, it was called the Nashville Hot. So it was dressed in this kind of wet, spicy sauce, so it mm-hmm. had this, like, little kick to it. Uh, that was hands down my favorite, you know. I always love good spice, and so they did it really, really well. Um, yeah, definitely hope, you know, fingers crossed, I think it's really good. They're going to probably pull that out nationwide. That's my prediction. Right. I like your prediction. I mean, if they had so much hype about it in Atlanta, come on. Right, right. Yeah. Do more. Easy, easy. Yeah, easy choice for that. Right. I think. What are, so I, you, I mean, you're, you're circulating and you're in this world every day. This is your job. Tell us about some other things like that, that you see that really, I don't know, maybe like people who are outside of this or don't spend as much time as you in animal advocacy and keeping abreast with any kind of like updates like this may they may not notice what are some of the other like recent things that you think exciting took place Mm. boy i really think it's you know kind of piggybacking off of uh you know the recent thing with kfc it's all these other companies that are embracing these uh, these plant-based options and just how it's like one after another it's Mm -hmm. so hard to keep up um and then you know on the you know Internally, I guess it's humanely, yeah, there's been tremendous progress being made, you know, for broiler chickens. Um, prior to that, we were working, you know, for cage-free egg-laying hens. And so that's, right now, those commitments are coming into fruition. So we're seeing a lot of industry shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something maybe people don't really know about. It's like there's a lot of industry shifting happening. Um, they're obviously, you know, very upset with the Humane League and other organizations. So we know we're doing the right thing and that we're making an impact here so that's that's something that's also very very inspiring to me that's really cool and it also sounds like there is obviously progress as you're talking about with some of the legislation and policies and standards for humane treatment of animals but at the same time there's also a lot of interest as you uh, identified in the alternative meats and alternative dairy products yeah. companies or even like the the big current stakeholders of dairy products and meats companies that are beginning to invest in plant-based alternatives or in meat alternatives, plant-based, whatever product. So I think just that is also a signal of the shifting demand and uh, the market responding to that demand. And I'm sure that makes, you know, just as much as if not more progress in terms of improving the life lives of animals or maybe decreasing the amount of animals that are getting slaughtered, hopefully down the line yeah yeah you're definitely to your point there your corporations are waking up right seeing the writing on the wall and seeing that you know they either need to get out of this business of animal agriculture they're starting to by diversifying Mm -hmm. who they're investing in or what they're creating so yeah coming out with plant-based options Mm -hmm. right so they see where society is trending towards and so they're trying to keep up with it and it's great progress because one, it's, you know, decreases the number of animals that are being slaughtered and abused every year. Um, it's providing more accessibility for folks to try these plant-based products and to move towards that spectrum of, you know, adopting a vegan diet. So it's a win-win um, when you're seeing that these companies are kind of moving in that direction. They're moving together. And, you know, my hope is that there's going to be this watershed moment you know, where you see a big major shift, or maybe we're already in that, right? So it's happening all the time. 
Yeah, and I think another big component that I don't think we mentioned uh, or talked about it as much, but it's definitely prevalent right now, is the environmental impact component of that and how much, I mean, again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your reason is. You know, vegan is and plant-based is is an answer to it all. If it's animal um, uh, advocacy, if it's ethical, right, if it's your health and wellness or if it's environmental or if it's anything else, but it's it's all it encompasses all of those reasons and the fact that we have we do have thank God finally at least a little bit more attention on the environmental and climate change and with Greta Thunberg and all of the you know big corporations again trying to do more about recycling and world without waste and you know waste task forces established in many corporations that can also be used as a, as a point to advocate for plant-based foods and that what I'm that's what I'm seeing a lot in, in my world in my professional world when working with large corporations and large organizations is if you can get them with ethics if you can get them with health you're going to get them with environment yeah yeah that's increasingly becoming really popular to your point Greta Thunberg has done an amazing job of being an advocate for veganism yes. while also fighting for climate change so yeah, can't say enough love her. So uh, she's done so much, you know, for the movement. And yeah, like you said, there's, there's, to me, I don't mind, I don't care what reason you are to go vegan. Right. <laughs> so if you're vegan, you're vegan for the animals. So um, I know we talked about in my last podcast, like I originally went vegetarian as like a culinary curiosity. I know, I still can't believe it. <laughs> and then it wasn't until I went to a sanctuary that it like, okay, I got it later. And I became like, you know, my motivation was, you know, for animal welfare reasons, but it wasn't how I started. It didn't matter. So yeah. embrace all reasons to, to go vegetarian and then vegan. Exactly. And for me, the same. I went, I went vegetarian first for health reasons and then even vegan. But then as, as I started learning more about both the, the animal, how the animals are treated, and then the environmental component of that, and just like the whole food politics of it is just like there are things that you cannot unlearn. Yeah. But then once you're once once you're on board for all the reasons, it just makes it so easy. Like there is no for me, there's not like I don't crave meat. Like I don't want I don't want to have cheat days. And it's just per, like it doesn't have like to be like that for everybody. But it's just me personally because it's like so deeply ingrained in my brain and it's just completely against my values. So it's like why why bother? Right. Yeah. I think definitely being vegan for animal welfare reasons is probably one of the stronger arguments to keep people vegan longer as you know so they don't go back yeah <laughs> to eating meat but um yeah okay so i know since you've already already been in my podcast before so i already asked you a question about kindness so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna um <laughs> bother you with that one but i do have a few questions that i want to ask you before we close is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't mentioned before i'll i'll do a round of questions oh um yeah so about uh i just want to reiterate for like our volunteering yes. um restructuring um the volunteer captain position um, we've just reopened that um so we've got applications going until november 4th uh so everyone who's interested in wanting to get involved in the humane league and wanting to learn the most they can i would highly encourage everybody to apply to be a humane league captain um so again yeah there's like an interview process it's a six-month mm -hmm. commitment there's intensive training but you're going to come out of it as a leader in your community. Right. And that's another thing that I, I want to point out about the Humane League. It's uh, that you're very, again, you, you you approach this as it is your job. as like truly it is. It's an important thing that you do. So the amount of training that goes into volunteers or employers, it's, it's very serious stuff. It's not just like, I would argue that the amount of training that you provide may be more than some people get through like internships and quote unquote important, you know, positions at the office because you you are very intentional with the types of skills that you enforce. And then also at the same time, because people are driven by passion and they're genuinely excited to do the work that they do. You just... Hi, puppies. <laughs> Somebody's, Somebody's home. home. Yeah, but you just you just really get to put those skills to work and really grow as a person in professional role as well. So I cannot stress that enough. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of transferable skills that you can learn by being a volunteer captain here at the Humane League. Like we've got almost 30 courses from anything and everything. That's amazing. Yeah. And so 
yeah, we just created a whole site for it uh, that just came out. So yeah, we're, mm -hmm. we really do take it serious. And we really do want people to come away with this, um, you know, not just to help us, but obviously to help themselves learn new skills and to, to take it somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So apply. All right. So a few questions, uh, short answers only. Hmm. What's your favorite food? Pizza came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite restaurant in Atlanta or a few that stand out? Dolce Vegan. All right. Yeah, What's your What's your favorite breakfast meal? Oh, my partner makes these amazing biscuits. <laughs> so, so biscuits and gravy. Sorry, that's a I short love answer. It. <laughs> uh, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, what is your favorite event, like any kind of like vegan animal advocacy related event uh, that happens here around? Oh, to man. Go to? Well, I really like, there's another organization called Radish. Uh, they meet up every week and everyone comes together and cooks uh, vegan meals, which then they donate to homeless shelters that uh, cater to the LGBTQ homeless uh, youth population. So that that's something non-thl that i get really excited and look forward to i love it i love it um okay so we talked about restaurants wait i want to ask them oh their favorite book or a suggestion on a read that's related to animals or not i guess oh. we can talk about essentialism <laughs> <laughs> i know that's all i kept thinking about there's um so there's a book by tobias leonard uh called how to create a vegan world that's one of my favorites. It's, it would have been my second book. I would have said, uh, the, you know, to the Animal Activist Handbook. So it's How to Create a Vegan World by Tobias Leonard. Yeah. Highly recommend it. I love it. And last one, the movie, documentary movie. Game Changers. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And by the way, it dropped on Netflix. Is that today? So Yes, it did. Today? Yes, today. Uh, 15th. I think it was yesterday. Yesterday. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so go watch Game Changers if you haven't seen yet. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, Ryan. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I'm sure it's not the last time. I'm wishing you the best of luck of changing the world. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Thanks, Christina. Do some good work. Hell yeah.